Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We study from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 today, and this is the last part of the text that deals with Jehoshaphat, although technically we see he's, he dies tomorrow in chapter 21. Um, so he co- does cover five chapters of the text of the book. Today's chapter is a bit longer than the chapters have been of late. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and set his face to seek Yahweh, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from Yahweh. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek Yahweh. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of Yahweh before the new court, and said, O Yahweh God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever? to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of Yahweh came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says Yahweh to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and Yahweh will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Yahweh your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to Yahweh and praise him in holy attire, as they went before the army. 
and say, Give thanks to Yahweh, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, Yahweh set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Berakah, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Berakah to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for Yahweh had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of Yahweh, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that Yahweh had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in the way of Asa his father and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of Yahweh. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the chronicles of Jehu the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat king of Judah joined with Ahaziah king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavahu of Merishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, Yahweh will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today, again, a little bit lengthier, is a battle that God wins. Not Judah. The Lord wins this fight. And that's the whole picture really of what we want to focus on. God fights for his people. And we're going to make the connection to how he fights for you and for me today as we go through this text as well. So we've got Moab, Ammon, and the Munites, or the Edomites from Mount Seir. So Moab is to the east of the Salt Sea, kind of central on it. Um, Edom, or Mount Seir, is south of the Salt Sea. Ammon is on the east side, northeast side of the Salt Sea to the north of where Moab is. So we've got these three people groups who are going to come and they're going to muster their troops for battle and they're called a great horde. Notice that phrase. I mean, they are a great multitude or a great horde, both phrases said of them here in the text. A million Ethiopians came against Judah and we were told there were a million of them. So this is more than that, most likely, that they're not even counted by number. They're just called this great multitude. Some of his men, Jehoshaphat's men, the king's men, come to him to warn him that these have gathered at En Gedi. En Gedi is a, a, I don't want to say necessarily a port city, but it's a, it's a city on the western side of the Salt Sea, about halfway 
um, as you're looking at, along the coast of the sea line. So you've got Moab and Ammon who have crossed the sea to come to En Gedi, whereas the Edomites may have walked there, or they might have also crossed the sea and landed at En Gedi as well. Hard to say. So they've come, they've gathered, and what's the reaction of the king? Fear. But what does he do with his fear is the crucial, crucial aspect of this. Fear is not good. We are not to fear the things of this world. But when Jehoshaphat recognizes his fear, he goes to God. And that is good. When we are afraid in this world, in this life of anything, whether it's of getting sick, of dying, of of losing something, whatever that fear is, take it to God. In a way, this is repentance, because we're not supposed to fear it anyway. Uh, Do not be afraid is a very frequent biblical command, and Christ will even tell us to fear nothing but God himself, as he tells us that we should only fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and that's the judgment of God that can do that. So our fear is of God alone. And so when we fear something else, again, follow Jehoshaphat's lead. Take your fear to God. Let him know that you're afraid. This is repentance and ask him to take it for you. Ask him to give you the strength. Ask him to give you the patience to endure whatever it may be. So not only Jehoshaphat, but all the people of Judah come to seek Yahweh. This is very good. They also fast. Fasting is to go without food, typically. It can be a reference to going without food and water. Um, That is never seen happening for more than three days when fasts of food and water occur in Scripture. A fast of food, um, aside from Jesus, typically not longer than a seven-day window. Uh, Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, um, connecting to the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites as they left Egypt. So the purpose of fasting is a thing of prayer, that your prayers and petitions would be brought in that fast before the Lord. And it, it really, it seems as though the, the Old Testament belief is that if you were fasting, God heard your prayer better. I don't know if that's necessarily the fairest way to say that, but that fasting heightened prayer. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. It's not that if you stop right now, pause the podcast, and say a quick prayer, it's not that God doesn't hear it because you're not fasting. And it's not that if you started fasting, like you're cranking up the volume on your prayer. But there is a connection between fasting and prayer, without a doubt. They are directly linked in the Old Testament. So they're praying. And then we get, really from verse 6 onward, in the temple. Jehoshaphat is standing in the house of Yahweh, in the temple, and he prays this prayer from verse 6 to verse 12. And as you read the prayer with your children, ask them what they think of the prayer. Do they think it's a good prayer? This is, quite honestly, an excellent prayer uh, from Jehoshaphat before the Lord. He acknowledges who God is. So he's the God of our fathers, Yahweh, the divine name. You are God in heaven. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. So he doesn't just sit in heaven, but he rules over everything. Every kingdom is under his direction, his command. He has the power and the might. Those are two different things, by the way. Um, Might refers to strength, whereas power refers to ability. Um, So you have the ability to do something or you have the strength. And he has both. 
so that none is able to withstand. No one can fight against God. It's a great acknowledgement from Jehoshaphat. So now he's pointing out that God has given them this land. He's given them the promised land. He drove out his enemies, gave it to the descendants of Abraham, just as he promised back in Genesis 12 and multiple times after. They've lived in it. They've built a home for his name. So they've built a house for God in this place. And then verse 9, this is connected to Solomon, actually. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon had prayed that if all these various things had happened to the Israelites and they turned back to God, they repented and they turned to his house and they prayed that God would hear and answer their prayers. Jehoshaphat's doing exactly that. So he has a fear of an enemy that's coming, The sword is coming upon them, and he has turned to the house of Yahweh, for his name is in this house, that God will hear and save. So, keeping up on that old old word from really a few generations ago. So he points out in verse 10 to the Lord that Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir have come against them, and that God had not allowed the Israelites to harm these people enemy peoples. So as they were leaving Egypt, God did not take them on the most direct route along the Mediterranean Sea as they would have had to have gone through Philistia, and the Lord knew that their fear of the Philistines would prevent them from going. So he took them instead the long way, and Edom denied them passage to the south of the Salt Sea, so they had to walk even further south of the Salt Sea to make passage. And then as they passed Edom, they turned northward And the Moabites, this is that whole thing with uh, Balaam's donkey. Numbers chapter 22 is Balak, the king of Moab, summoned Balaam to curse the Israelites so that he could then kill them in battle more easily. So Moab was an enemy. The Ammonites, again, north of that. But God... God protected his people. God provided for his people. God led his people past them and into the promised land. And so Jehoshaphat's pointing out that God did not wipe out those enemies now in the past. I mean, and now as a reward for this, what are they doing? They're going to try to kill God's people. They're going to try and drive God's people out of the land that God gave to them. This is not good. This is not right. This is not okay. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a fantastic end to the prayer um, to admit his fear. And it is their fear that has rendered them powerless against this great horde. They've got an army of over a million soldiers themselves. But they're afraid. And it has rendered them powerless. They are quaking in their boots, to use that expression, um, at the idea of this enemy. They don't know what to do, but their eyes are on God. We are lost. We are poor, miserable sinners. We don't know how to handle this. We're trusting you, O Lord. Care for us. Provide for us. This is fantastic prayer, and this is what we really as Christians today, also should be praying and doing uh, on a regular basis this kind of a prayer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lead us, O Lord. Guide us, O Lord. Care for us, O Lord. We are yours.
So as they're standing there, God pours out his spirit upon a prophet, Jahaziel, who then speaks. Uh, really, even he's only described as a Levite, I suppose. He's not described as a prophet, but God gives him his word, so that makes him into a prophet at this point. And he gets to speak, and he says to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Again, this is the key. It's not them that will be fighting. In fact, they won't lift a finger in this battle. It is God's. Tomorrow, go against them. He tells them what they'll, they'll do. They'll come up along the ascent of Z's, so they're going to travel that west side of the Salt Sea up towards uh, the wilderness of Jeruel, which is along the Salt Sea, and comes to Tekoa, which is a little to the west. You will not need to fight. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. This is very similar to what Moses told the Israelites in Exodus 14, verses 3 and 4, very powerful text, that they need not fear the Egyptians. They will never see them again. They need only to be silent or be still, depending on your English translation. See the salvation of Yahweh. On your behalf. We can't save ourselves, but God God can save us, and God does save us. And for us, this really gets into Armageddon, the end of the world, the major battle between the forces of God and the forces of the devil that has so many Christians around the world scared to death. There are Christians I know who won't even read the book of Revelation because it terrifies them, because they have it wrong. Um, Revelation is meant to give us comfort, not fear. The whole battle of Armageddon is Satan musters his troops together at Armageddon, um, which is a interesting place name in and of itself. We'll skip over that for now. But he gathers his troops together, and then all of a sudden God declares, it is done. And it's done. There's no battle. Revelation 16, 19, and 20, again and again, it's a repetition in the book, Uh, Picture that final battle on the last day. There is no battle. The devil has no power against God. None. I'm not saying he doesn't have power, but his power compared to God is nothing. And so he's simply destroyed. He is simply wiped out and cast into hell. We need not fear that final battle. Just like the Israelites need not, or the Judaites, need not fear this great horde coming against them. Go out. The Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat worships God. The Levites worship God. The Judaites worship God. And then verse 20, they rise up in the morning and they go. And they go singing. Jehoshaphat sends priests Levites dressed in holy attire, singing the Psalms. I mean, Psalm 106, 107, 118, and 136 all start out with this same phrase. Although admittedly, it's give thanks to Yahweh for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. So we're missing the for he is good phrase from this. But four Psalms use that line as they're open. So it's quite possible that they're singing an entirety of one of those Psalms as they are going. Maybe all of them as they march that way. This is a contrast to how Jehoshaphat listened to the words of the prophet Micaiah. By the way, I never mentioned, we never hear if he gets out of prison or not, or if the Israelites kept him imprisoned. 
after the whole battle at Ramoth Gilead. But here Jehoshaphat listens to the word of God. He listens to the prophet. And as they sing their praises, God sets an ambush against them. God stirs them up. God causes the Ammonites and the Moabites to turn against the people from Mount Seir, or from Edom, and destroy them. And once they're done with that, they destroy each other. God takes this army, turns it against itself. And by the time the Judaites come to the watchtower to see, they look at the horde, it's nothing but dead bodies. None had escaped, verse 24. None, not one, just like it was with the Ethiopians. Except for there, God allowed his people to fight as he guided the fight. Here, God takes it entirely. He stirs them up. He turns them against each other. He destroys this great army. And all the Judaites have to do is gather the spoil. And there's so much of it, it takes three days to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they celebrate. They bless Yahweh. They give thanks to Yahweh. They call it the Valley of Blessing. Barakah is the Hebrew word for blessing. And then they return to Jerusalem in joy that God has defeated their enemies. And this puts fear into all the other enemy nations around them, recognizing what just happened. They learn that Yahweh has defeated his enemies, and so they no longer want to fight against Judah. So this is the end of the reign of Jehoshaphat. 25 years from 970 to 945, roughly, that he reigns. He is said to have walked in the ways of his father Asa and not turned aside from them, doing right in the sight of Yahweh. Uh, So this is good. So he's identified as the second good king of Judah. We've had two of each, um, with Rehoboam and Abijah being wicked in the eyes of Yahweh, although Abijah was not said in the Chronicles text, but in the first Kings text it was. And then Asa and Jehoshaphat described as doing right in the sight of Yahweh. Not all the high places were taken away, though, so that's a negative. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers, so there's still idolatry in the land. The last paragraph, verse 35, notes that Jehoshaphat repeats a mistake. So he had allied himself with the king of Israel before, and it ended poorly with the king of Israel dying at Ramoth Gilead, and yet he does it again here, allying himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, to build ships to go to Tarshish, which is over in Spain. They do this, they build them in Ezion Geber, which is down on the Gulf of Aqaba, Uh, from one of those two little seas that comes off the top of the Red Sea. And Eleazar the prophet prophesied against him that he's done wickedly, and so Yahweh will destroy what he has made. So the ships are destroyed. He doesn't make it to Tarshish. So Jehoshaphat, not perfect, but does what is right in Yahweh's sight. He follows Yahweh. He trusts in God above all things.